Hello, and welcome to Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 11, Poison Ivy, The New Seduction, from 1997. Today I welcome actor-comedian Austin Wolf Southern to the show for his first appearance. Austin was a guest on episode 16 of Watch the Throne, which was the movie 15 Minutes, so make sure to check out that episode after this one. Now that I think of it, this movie may have been more thematically appropriate for a February Valentine's Day episode instead of a November Thanksgiving show, but that's what you get when it's hashtag season one forever. Before we get into the rest of the show, a little bit of business up front. You've got mail. That's right, it's the very first edition of Third Times a Mail. Today I hold in my hand the very first piece of actual email. This letter is from Cage Club co-founder Joey Lewandowski, and I will read it out loud starting right now. Hey Mike, long-time listener, first-time writer. Just finished listening to your Leatherface episode, and I have to say, I loved it. Wow, thank you very much. Two notes for you. One, you were asking your guest if he had any crazy cross-country or backwoods stories. I've got a bunch, but the one that feels most appropriate to this episode happened when I was driving back from my friend's place in Virginia. The first hour driving back weaves you through mountainous Virginian roads. It's 9.30 a.m. and a bright and sunny day for a drive. I stop at a local gas station to get gas and head inside as the pumps are too old to have credit card readers. The employee has his back to me, stocking cigarettes and paying me no mind, while the only customer was staring at me like I was the Yankee that didn't belong. I waited about a minute, nothing changed, realized I didn't need gas this bad, and got back in my car to go to a more populated station. Yikes. 2. I've got a 3D TV and a PS3 which plays 3D Blu-rays, so if you want to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 3D, you know where to go. Looking forward to Poison Ivy, the new seduction, Joey. Thank you very much, Joey, for sending in this email. Thank you for listening, thank you for this great story, and thank you for that invitation. It seems your cross-country trip was a little more in line with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre than my guest Dan of the Dead Cologne's experience cross-country. If anyone else out there has any crazy stories about driving cross-country and want to mention the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series or anything else at all, please don't hesitate to write me 3 at cageclub.me. That's T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me, and I'll read your mail on the air too. So now, without further ado, grab a tennis racket, a few pairs of handcuffs, and get ready to be seduced. Alright, well, Austin Wolf Southern. Thank you for joining me on Third Time's a Charm. Hi, thank you so much for thinking of me for Poison Ivy, the new seduction. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. Like, I did think of you when I was going down my list. That's amazing. <laughs> well, if I want to give uh, the listeners just a little bit of history why you're here. When Joey and I were doing Watch the Throne, he discovered you on Letterboxd, basically. We all have a shared love of a certain Keanu film called Flying, a.k.a. Dream to Believe. Right. 
And Joey's like, listen, man, I know you don't know us and we don't know you. And he said to me, look, Mike, I know you don't know this guy and he doesn't know you, but he loves <laughs> flying. He loves the same types of movies we love. Well, and Nick Cage. Nick Cage is my favorite actor. That's what I was getting to. The, the man himself, like he is down with Cage. He loves him the way we love him. And, you know, we got to have him on if we can. And I was like, absolutely. So you were on for the episode 16 for Watch the Throne, which was 15 minutes. Right, which you guys didn't like. I I found entertainment value in it. Yes, and I'm glad we had you on, and I'm glad you did, because, right, Joey and I were a little disgruntled that episode with it. Yeah, and, and Charlize Theron is in it for, like, 30 seconds. Right, and that's why we were so upset, because she was playing a madam in New York City for, like, a real posh call girl service. And we were like, this is terrific. Here we go. And she had that one scene. Yeah. That was a little bit disappointing, but having you on that episode was great, so everyone go check out that episode. And so basically what happened after that episode, I clicked on the link on your letterbox for your YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I went through some of your videos and things, and I came across some of your stand-up. I fucking fell in love with your purge joke. I just thought that was great. That's the first time I sort of heard that take on Purge Night. Uh, I don't want to ruin the joke, so people go go check out Austin's YouTube channel for that joke. Oh, well, thank you. And the other thing was, so, like, I subscribed, and suddenly these little, like, one to two minute movie reviews started popping up on your page. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, how that happened? Like, one day they just all sort of started appearing. Well, it was an idea I had had for a while of just wanting to do something. And because I, I haven't been doing as much stand-up lately, but I want to be writing jokes and putting comedy into the world. So I just started recording these movie reviews because all I really care about is, is movies. And so I started doing it on Instagram for the Instagram stories. And I like that format where I like I get cut off after 15 seconds. So I like have to kind of be quick and just like make it snappy and then I can add all these dumb gifts to it. At first, I liked the idea that they were up for 24 hours and then gone forever. But eventually I started, I just, I liked a lot of the videos so much that I was like, I gotta put these up. Like, I might as well put these up on YouTube. So I started putting the archive on YouTube and now they go up more or less at the same time. Yeah, it's great. Um, they're they're kind of on the regular now. I'm trying to do it regularly for October or for, yeah, I mean, I started a couple of weeks ago, but for horror movies for the fall season. I only recently started following you on Instagram, so I wasn't aware that that's sort of the origin of how this happened, because I, I just found them hilarious because you were getting cut off. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're talking to your cat. Oh, yeah. My, my cats make frequent cameos, and they're beautiful. <laughs> they're, they're the cutest. And they're very funny, too, like, in general. Like, I just think, like, your funny personality to, to review movies, and it's just refreshing because there's a lot of sort of more serious people, like, or people who try to be very serious on YouTube and do long, drawn-out, very in-depth sort of let's get deep with these movies. And it's just really nice to have, like, these quick, funny, short movie reviews. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, that is, yeah, that's what I'm going for. So I feel like two minutes is plenty. And so, like, here's another important thing about these reviews, which is why I like them so much, is the, the type of movies that you do. Now, I'm sure you watch other movies as well. Is there a reason that you sort of regulate these reviews to these more sort of, they're like obscure movies, I'd say? Or I don't want to say they're bad movies by any degree, but maybe, you know, along no. that line of sort of like an alternative genre movie? 
That's definitely more what I watch and what I gravitate to is I prefer genre films and misunderstood films, I would say, instead of bad. And I just I find them easier to talk about. And I think there's just a lot more. There's a lot that's like funny about them and just like wanting to add a different take of like appreciating these movies in a way that I feel a lot of people don't. And I that's something I've always kind of gone to is like finding reasons to to love movies that other people just kind of write off. Yeah, you know, recently that's been sort of a mantra. Well, I mean, for the most part at the network, we don't want to sort of talk bad about bad movies per se. We always try to find the light in the darkness, I guess you could say. And, you know, sure, technical problems, acting problems, you're going to run across problems. But for the most mm-hmm. part, we do try to celebrate the movie and not sort of like make fun of it. if we. Can. Yeah, and celebrate the problems. And that that's something that I try that I think is good about these movies and why I tend to review them more often is like they're easy. I like to kind of make fun of them, but in a celebratory way. Like I love their mistakes, <laughs> you know, and I, I think there's, I don't know, there are usually jokes to be found there. It's just, I just prefer talking about them. But I, I want to do more mainstream movies just because, you know, I would hope that it, more people would find it if I'm doing movies people have heard of because there's not a, not a big audience for it right now for my channel. That was like the sort of the genesis of my show here, Third Time's a Charm, is like I I wanted to talk about underrated films to some degree. So I was like, well, I love franchise movies and I love the third part in the film probably the most just because of how strange they can get. Like they're all so different and I feel like they are the black sheep or the misunderstood movie within the genre. So like I was able to sort of find a way to celebrate those types of misunderstood films and then also um, like more popular ones as well. So far up until this point, I've covered like Jaws and Aliens and Halloween and Jurassic Park. Yeah, I listened to I listened to uh, Rocky three and and Jurassic Park three. Those were the ones that I just felt I remembered best. <laughs> I, I want to hear the other ones. And what was the other what was the first one you did with Joey? Superman three. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I listen to that one. So, like, even these giant franchises get to a point sometimes where the audience turns against them, for the most part, mm-hmm. or the general public just decides one day that uh, that's awful. But, you know, me as a kid, in Superman 3 especially, growing up, like, I have such a love for that movie. And as an adult, clearly I can see its flaws, you know? But, again, like, I tend to like those flaws more than dislike them, and I think it adds to the enjoyment. Yeah, like, like, what are these movies without the flaws? You know, like, I don't, I just don't believe that they would be better if they were, like, better made. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, because then you sort of get what happens with the Superman Returns, right? Where everyone was like, oh, exactly. (laughs) We're gonna make a good Superman movie. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, it's boring as shit. And like, nothing happens. And it's the worst. But good for you guys. Yeah, I'd rather watch Superman three or four. And that's sort of what brings us here today to this movie. Originally, when I um, started this show, I had everything split up into seasons. So I had like horror season and sci-fi season and all kinds of animated season. And way at the bottom of the list was the direct-to-VHS and like several question marks next to it season. (laughs) And this not only was the first movie to go in that box, but this was one of the first movies to go on my actual list when I was concocting this 
the plan for this show. Well, we'll get into why probably, but like... Yeah, I want to hear your history with the franchise. I instantly gravitated toward this. I I wasn't aware that there was a part three of this series, but I was very well aware of the first part of this series. So I was like, I got to move this movie up to the top of the list. I got to do it soon. It sort of (laughs) breaks the streak of mainstream blockbuster franchises i get to get a little you know a little more direct to home video today which is good <laughs> and yeah so uh, poison ivy the new seduction is what we're here to talk about today and and and, and so like mm-hmm. you know i was like who who can i invite on the show to talk about this and your reviews came to mind and hopefully you do a review of this and you can link to it or something but like i, I just felt like if i'm gonna do this i had to call upon austin wolf southern see if he would answer that's so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to do it. And uh and I I like the movie. So basically I have like one little mini segment now to get into which is our histories with the franchise. I basically ask everybody, you know, have they seen these movies before? When were you sort of first aware of them and you know, when was the first time you watched this movie? So if you wouldn't mind, indulge me. When was the first time you came upon the Poison Ivy franchise? kind of late considering how i guess big it is i mean it's like big for an obscure film i guess but i feel like the first poison ivy is like a real classic of 90s erotic scandalous thrillers and i i love that genre so i you know i should have gotten to it sooner i feel so i was always aware of it but i just never watched the movie until a few years ago but I still, yeah, I, I feel like it set a standard in a certain way and, like, influenced a lot of what came after. And it's kind of in the the middle of, like, erotic thriller stuff. It's a step above Skinamax, but it's not, like, on the level of, like, Basic Instinct or something, like, truly amazing, you know? And I love that that middle ground. And I, I love the, the really trashy stuff so i watched the first poison ivy a few years ago and i i liked it i wasn't like super blown away by it or or anything but i thought it was very good for what it was and i didn't see the sequels i watched part two last week and i watched part three last night so (laughs) did you know there's a part four i didn't know that before very recently I knew there were three, but I didn't know there was a fourth one from 2008, I think. Yeah, it's super recent. Like, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. 10 years old, 10 years after The New Seduction. <laughs> so that's strange. So The New Seduction, this was your first screening? This is my first viewing, yeah. Yeah, me too. So my history with this basically boils down to Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. The star of Poison Ivy 1. Yeah, that was another reason I was interested in it cuz I love her 90s output. And I think she I think she would be a great actress to like go through the filmography of because I feel like every decade of her filmography is very different but very good in like different ways. Do you agree? Oh yeah, like she's got her whole childhood phase. Yeah. She's got like when she reemerged clean and sober as sort of like a late teen, she started doing a lot of like indie stuff, I feel, and that's sort of where the poison ivy fell into place and then like boys on the side type things and clearly got in deep with uh Adam Sandler for a while in comedies and stuff. Well yeah, but she did a lot of good like kind of trashy stuff in the early 90s like uh the amy fisher story is incredible oh right the long island lolita yeah she was in one of those three tv movies and then have you seen doppelganger 
from 93. No, I don't even think I've heard of that. No. Oh my god, Doppelganger is incredible. It's so good. So that's when she has like a doppelganger that's trying to kill her or something. But <laughs> it gets so weird. And it, the ending like really will surprise you, I think. I love Doppelganger. It's, it went directly onto my watch list. <laughs> okay. Like I, of course, knew her from E.T., but I was a, I'm, a, I'm now a big Firestarter fan. Like I just, I'm, I love that. Oh, I love Firestarter. Yeah. When this movie came out, I was 13. So, like, it was, I feel like, in a way, targeting me. Poison Ivy or? Yeah, Poison Ivy. The original one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it sort of felt like when we went to the video store, my friends and I, to, to rent a movie every week, it, like, definitely was like, hey, five 13-year-old boys, like, check this out, <laughs> you know? Like, that kind of thing. And, like, we, I mean, obviously watched it for, for Drew Barrymore. Like, we just thought that she was the best and beautiful and everything yeah i gotta admit it felt kind of like a bait and switch to a degree i mean it was a little odd in the first place they were marketing teen drew barrymore as such like this sort of sultry sexy um husband stealer kind of thing like jailbait almost lolita yeah that's the that's what makes it scandalous <laughs> Well, yeah, now I understand. Back <laughs> yeah. then, I don't think we were paying attention like that. We all ended up watching it together, my friends and I. Got pretty disappointed, and then I think I saw it again once or twice, like, on, on cable. And then it was sort of out of my mind for a while, and I had heard that Alyssa Milano did a sequel. Mm. That she was doing nudity in that, and I can't imagine an Alyssa Milano of today's Twitter, like, doing a Poison Ivy movie, per se. I don't know, maybe, but, like, <laughs> I've still not seen it, so I know it's out there, but it always, like, intrigued me that she was in the sequel, and I was like, oh, they're sort of doing this 80s child stars all grown up, and now they're, like, a bad girl, and their image is all bad now, and they're, you know, getting naked on screen and stuff. I was like, this is a very sort of interesting idea for a... Uh, for like a series of films and stories and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know anything more about the Alyssa Milano version. You didn't watch it. You still haven't watched it? Every once in a while, if I haven't seen a movie in the series, I don't watch it for the show because I just, I've seen so many of them so far. So I wanted to have a couple holes in the timeline or in the continuity. Okay. I don't think there's any continuity going on between any of these. No, no. <laughs> Definitely not. So I'm kind of safe. Yeah, they they all function on their own. The second one I found very disappointing. They were trying something different and it, it didn't work for me. Because it's, she's very much the protagonist in that one. So she like finds some old like diaries that Ivy wrote from, you know, Drew Barrymore's character. No way. Okay, so there is a link. Yeah, they're all linked. So she just, like, finds some old, like, notebooks or something, and then she's inspired by these diaries to, like, become a bad girl. And then she, like, starts, like, trying to seduce her college professor or whatever. But she doesn't she doesn't go that bad. And it, it just doesn't really go anywhere. And, like, not a lot happens. And then it was very unsatisfying. I want to see the Ivy character being predatory and being the, like, sexual antagonist or whatever. I feel like it has to end in murder of some kind, right? Did it end in, did she try and murder? Because, like, that's sort of, I feel like, the first in this one, there's there's a lot of that going on. Like you said, she's, like, evil. She should be evil. Yeah, she's n never even close to evil. 
So there's death in it, but she's not the bad guy. Like the professor ends up being the bad guy. And then the way it, it's kind of a love story. Like it's her and like an age appropriate guy start dating. It's sort of their love story. But then the professor like almost rapes her. And then the end of the movie is her kind of asking the boyfriend for forgiveness for almost getting raped. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Because he just saw, like, the two of them together, and she's just like, oh, sorry, I got myself into that mess. And it's like, you don't, (laughs) I'm not comfortable with this. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) I'm glad this isn't, you know, second time's a charm, and I'm covering that one. Yeah, the Ivy-inspired character needs to be the, the aggressor, you know? And this one, so the new seduction really amps that up, and... (laughs) It's a return to form and then some, you know? Yes, absolutely. And yeah, so so here we are with Jamie Priestley, mm-hmm. who's amazing in this. Like, I feel like they got the perfect actor. Like, I, I mean, she wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm willing to forgive them not hiring another child actor who's all grown up again. <laughs> right. That's fine. Like, I feel like now they know what, before we get into like the general discussion, I just feel like overall this movie really goes for it. Like, I feel like it knows what it wants, even if it at times feels like it's trying to be too serious or, or, or maybe it's too confident. I, I guess that it, it feels like super confident. And that's what I really like about it. Like, it just goes yeah. for everything. Like, it just decides. Like, you could just, I almost feel it just being like the decisions being made and like moving on, moving on, moving on. And I just love that about it because somehow it all sort of stays together like there's just a great momentum to this yeah i show my hand i guess ahead but like i I really enjoyed watching this movie (laughs) yeah that's true and i i think that's very true of her character like she never really expresses any doubt about like what she's doing right (laughs) yes i just don't always know what her end game is and i'm still not sure Oh, yeah. One of my biggest notes is, what is her motivation? (laughs) Never figured that out. But that's kind of... But like what you're saying about just like making a decision and going for it, I think that kind of like makes it work. It's like the movie's a little unfocused because like, why is she doing this? But I like that she she's just doing it and like not looking back. Everything still feels like true to character with everyone, even if it's not completely making sense all the time or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, it just seems like, oh, yeah, like, that's totally, like, I get it. Like, that works for her. Yeah. And she's she's just devious and evil. I want to start talking about this opening sequence. It's overwhelming. It is. It is some of the most incredible (laughs) cinema I've seen all year. And, like, that's no lie. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. This might be most of the show. Not really, but... I tried to take notes, but, like, those first 10 minutes were just, like... Like, my notes are interrupted. <laughs> like, there's so much happening. Between the Rent-A-Mansion that they shoot the whole movie in and with the music... I don't know how to describe the music throughout this, but maybe royalty-free might be a term <laughs> that's used often. <laughs> Definitely. And the guy's, like, pulling up to the house with the baseball game on, and it's, like, game three of 1985 in Kansas City baseball. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's how I don't th- I don't know if this was intentional or, like, anything, but that's exactly how Bad Lieutenant starts, the original Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. It's just him in a car listening to a baseball game. So, I mean, it's not... You know, that there's no reason for that to be a callback. It's not a big thing, but I, it's just something that 
like struck me. I was like, oh, this is literally exactly how Bad Lieutenant starts. I was thinking um, this is much better than a title card saying like 1985 or, or getting one in five minutes that says like 11 years later or something like that. Oh, yeah. I could just feel the charm, I guess, or what I consider charm of the movie right off the bat. I just felt like I knew what I was getting into like right here in the opening minutes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and explain what I thought was going on during this opening. Yeah. Okay, so there's three girls. There's two blonde girls and a brunette, and they're, what, about like eight maybe, seven or eight, I'd say, somewhere around there, and they're running around this big mansion. Now, the brunette runs outside up to the blonde lady doing the flowers and and calls her mom, and already I'm confused. Oh, she does call her mom. Yeah. Okay. And then the pool boy starts making out with what I think is the maid, but is actually the mother of the blonde girls. Like, I'm already confused trying to explain what's happening here. Well, no, I think she was the maid. So the blonde lady has the brunette daughter, and that's the wife. Okay, so that's the wife. That's the actual wife, but that's something that is revealed I think, I mean, assuming it was meant to be, like, twist upon twist, because it was, like, this, like, double cheat twist. I think you're supposed to think that the maid is, yeah, the mother of whoever lives in that house or whatever. I guess that was also just to, like, throw you off. But no, I I mean, I want to flesh out this scene. Yeah, I watched it three times because I was so confused, but I was still, like entertained by it and everything like trying to figure it out there's lots of little great moments like the three girls are having a tea party upstairs together and one of them is called ivy yeah yeah so ivy is that is drew barrymore's character oh oh wow so ivy and violet were sisters yeah so violet is ivy's sister so I haven't, I kind of wish I'd rewatched the first one to get a better understanding of like the family. Because it seems like we're supposed to know a little bit about Violet's background that is like not filled in for us. But maybe some of that is in Poison Ivy. I don't know. But yeah, so I thought all of them were sisters. I was like, I don't know who, I don't understand who the mom is. But so Violet and Ivy are sisters and they're friends with the brunette girl, Joy. And then the maid is the mother of Ivy and Violet. That's what threw me. Yeah. That's what's great and confusing about it. Yeah, So because she's brunette. So yeah, the blondes have a brunette mom and the brunette has a blonde mom. So yeah, it is confusing. But I think you're supposed to think that she's, the maid is like the main mom. Because then she's sleeping with the pool boy and then the dad comes home and he's like, what the fuck, you're cheating on me. Yes, that really threw me. So that's the thing is he's like, I can't believe you're cheating on me. But then his real wife walks in and is like, what's (laughs) going on here? So that was like, that was where my mind was blown. And I was trying to write down Joy's mom cheating dash weight, (laughs) double cheating twist. (laughs) I couldn't. (laughs) There was a point I actually thought for a moment when the dad comes in, Ivan, when he comes in and catches the one fooling around there was a moment when i thought that was his older daughter i was like because i was just like all bets are off i wrote down i get it and then i wrote down what the fuck yeah because right when i thought i figured out whose kid was whose mother who belonged to who they pull this you're cheating on me wait a minute but we're cheating together on her like it's crazy 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she's the mistress, and the mistress is cheating on the the guy who's married. <laughs> and he's like, in my own house? And then she's, and then the real wife comes in and says, how long has this been going on in my own house? Yeah, it's amazing. So I didn't, I still, I think I didn't figure out who the maid was, that she was the mom until later. That was still unclear. So then both of these women are dead later in the movie. <laughs> They're dead. Yeah, never to return. Both mothers have died since off screen with no real explanation, which I thought was a bit much for both of them to be dead. There was a moment where I think later, way later in the movie, when Michael confronts Violet on the street and she's in like her S&M gear in broad daylight, he starts to mm. go into like, your sister's dead, your mother's, I didn't even want to go into that. I was like, no, no, like, <laughs> what happened to her mother? Uh, was it the brunette? Like, I still want confirmation. Yeah, like, it, it's great. Yeah, I feel like that's, we must have heard something about like Ivy's mom being dead in the original but Joy's mom could have just, like, left him because he was cheating. You know, like, she didn't have to, like, have some accident or whatever that we don't get any details on. Oh, boy. So that's the, – the opening sequence was great. It just got me, like, in the mood for the rest of this movie. I was like, this could go – it could go anywhere. Like, it could do anything it wants. It's it's set up almost like uh, like a soap opera, really. Yeah, definitely. And I really loved the time-lapse dissolve. So, like, Violet's in the backseat of the car, and you see it pulling away from the house, and then it just kind of dissolves to a car pulling into the driveway. And then an adult, like, 20-year-old Violet gets out, and it's Jamie Priestley. Mm -hmm. I was like, this whole movie is just going to be shot at this mansion, and I'm going to love it. Like, we are never yeah. going to leave. <laughs> There's maybe one or two shots on a, on a random street somewhere or something, but, like, for the most part, this whole movie's taking place in this house. That's true. Yeah. Get comfortable. <laughs> um, oh, also, I guess worth mentioning early on, like, nudity right off the bat. I think it was like three minutes until the pool boy had his shirt off and then um, the maid mother. The maid mother, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's what it's about, right? Like, the gratuitous nudity for no reason. Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to watch Jamie Priestley take, like, one or two baths throughout this yeah, I mean, that's what that's a softcore film. I feel like it's okay when it's, you know, by design and everything like that. It's the excess, I feel, which becomes, like, you know, funny or, like, entertaining. It's not so much the nudity, but it's going to be, like, later in this movie where it's like, okay, I get it. It just became sort of like a, a running joke to me watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's a sex movie. They're selling sex and everyone seems game. You know, like Jamie seems very comfortable taking her clothes off. So, you know, I, I felt fine. I, yeah, it didn't feel exploitative to me. And then I don't know if you looked into like the director. Uh, not so much. No. The first two movies were directed by women. So I was surprised that this one wasn't. But it was this guy, Kurt Voss, who started with Alison Anders. And he's like co-directed a couple of movies with Alison Anders, who's like an indie feminist director. So he, he kind of has like a feminist background in, in some sense. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Maybe, you know, knows how to get a certain comfort level on, on set and, you know, treat people respectfully and everything so that's good yeah as much as there's moments like the room on here i doubt it was like making the disaster artist you know behind the scenes you know i don't think anyone was treated that poorly or anything yeah you never know but you don't you don't get that feeling from the movie or from the acting 
Yes. So I, I'm loving this immediately when she knocks on the door and the maid answers. I guess the new maid. Miss B? Oh, Susan Terrell. Do you know her? I, well, I only know her from Crybaby. She was in that John Waters film. Yeah, she's in Crybaby. Yeah, so I was just like, I know her from something. I know her from, from something. And then when I figured out it was Crybaby, I was like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Like, she's... She's amazing in this movie. Like, I, I love her in this movie. She's my favorite actor after Nicolas Cage. Oh, really? Okay. She's unbelievable. And, and I, I want to do a Susan Terrell podcast called Terrell and It Like It Is. <laughs> <laughs> she's in Forbidden Zone, which is like one of my favorite movies. And she's in a movie called Night Warning, where she's like a crazy aunt. I think that's only on VHS but it's amazing from 82. It's so good. And then she was in the first two Angel movies, Angel and Avenging Angel from the 80s, which are these like like scummy Hollywood Boulevard 80s movies. And she's so, so good in those movies and so funny. And there's a there's there's an Angel 3 as well, if you if you ever want to cover it. But she's None of the original people are in it or involved. I haven't seen the third one because it's it's not the same people. But she is so funny in, in those movies. And she's just an incredible actress. I mean, she's such a presence and she brings so much life into this movie. She's, for the most part, like a lot of the, the comic relief, I'd say. Or, you know, her and Jamie Priestley have like a little rivalry going on throughout this entire movie where she's just like super suspicious about her right off the bat and is like, who's this girl? Like this interloper. And she's mm-hmm. always like looking through her stuff and everything. And it's just like, it's great. Like, I, I, I just love that there's a character like that at all. But I just yeah. love the way that she's playing it. Yeah, I'm glad you appreciated her performance because she is, like, I think, wasted in this movie. But since I was, like, kind of looking for it because I love her, like, I could definitely see what she was adding and just, like, weird little moments or things she's doing with her face or whatever that she's adding something special. Yeah, I think I, I almost wrote down, like, you know, where's her movie? Like, what's been going on? Like, where's the movie before Violet showed up? Whenever the real mother died, and then, you know, I could just imagine the dad, like, going through all of the different, you know, people who come to be the new maid and everything, and then this lady shows up, and he's like, well, of course. <laughs> no need to look at the resume, no need to ask any questions. Like, when can you start? Yeah, I, he has, like, a genuine, like, fondness for her that's kind of sweet. Almost like their brother and sister or something. It was really an interesting kind of dynamic going on in this house. Yeah. And then Jamie or uh, Violet is like so mean to her right off the bat. And that was like conflicting for me because I want to root for Violet, even though she's the antagonist. Like I still, I like that she's this like bad girl or whatever. Like I, in general... You know, and especially if she's, like, tearing down men or whatever, it's like, yeah, fucking get them. Kill them all. Especially guys like Michael, right? Yeah. And just the... uh, But then when she's mean to Susan Terrell, I was like, well, this... Why is she so mean? (laughs) I was, like, conflicted about it. That's why I couldn't ever sort of, like, pinpoint her motivation or what her endgame was, really, because she's being real nice to Joy. She's being real mean to Mrs. B. She's, like, destroying Michael's life. will eventually kill him. She's going to kill, like, three or four people. She's even going to end up killing the dad, like, sets him up in the garage and does, you know, like, the asphyxiation with, like, the, with, like, seals up the garage and puts the car on and everything. Like, she's (laughs) a black widow or something. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, which is great. 
I was sort of playing like the guessing game the whole time with her up until the very end. Yeah. But she plays that so well. She plays sort of that coy, sort of sultry, like, really, I'm never ever going to really know what's going on behind those eyes kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's very good in it. Yeah. I wondered, because it, it made sense if she was trying to, like, ruin the dad's life because she's mad at him for, like, kicking out her mother or whatever. But then she's doing so much to ruin Joy's life who really never did anything wrong. It's not her fault, and continues to have no fault in any of this. Yeah, so she's, like, seducing the the boyfriend or whatever, and then, I guess, uh, jeopardizing her tennis championship. Or oh, whatever. my gosh. So <laughs> let's talk about Joy for a minute, because that's who we meet next, and it's sort of like a mini reunion. And, like, all that happens to poor Joy in this. She's, she's trying to train for her very important tennis tournament. She keeps getting drunk. Jamie Priestley bursts into her room the first night with, like, margaritas or daiquiris, right? And they just get wasted. Oh, yeah. She puts all of the rum inside of their smoothie when they play tennis, and they end up playing drunk tennis. Drunk tennis, yeah. That, again, like, some of the best shit I've seen all year is drunk <laughs> tennis. And at the end of the movie, she, like, basically ends the movie, like, insane. Like, she just gets driven insane. But, like, was that the plan? And if so, why? It's nuts. All I can figure is it's, like, maybe, like, a jealousy issue of just, like, they were best friends as young girls, and now she kind of, like, she was left an orphan, presumably. I don't know where Violet and Ivy's dad is. And then Joy is just, like, rich, and she's going to, like, she's going to go to Yale and stuff. So I think it's maybe just a, like, wanting what she has and wanting to take over her life by destroying it. I don't know. That's all I can figure for her motivation, because they definitely show that she's she's upset at like all the the at the like Ivy League party people who are like kind of snooty to her and just like you know acting like above her, and she's like frustrated with that. So I guess she's just lumping in joy with like this like shitty rich person, which also made it frustrating when then she's so mean to the help. Right. It's like <laughs> because yeah. she comes from meager beginnings too, right? Like she's like, oh, I go to community college, like I have had a you know talk about oh she's had a tough past and like you know we mm. find out she had a tough past and everything but like she's gorgeous and everything so it's just really weird for these superficial shallow ivy leaguers not to accept her like you would just figure they would based on her looks or something but so like it's a real weird twist when they're like community college like huh or whatever you know or <laughs> it's just like go over there like turn around girl. it's like what do you guys like that was just to let us know okay this is a gaggle of assholes over here. Yeah. And I guess, well, also, like, even if she was poor, the work that she's doing, which is, like, very specialized S&M call girl work. You mean Denny's in Hollywood? Well, that's what she says, but that's a lie. But she's presumably, like, an S&M prostitute. Yeah, yeah. That pays really good money, as far as I know. Like, that kind of, like, specialized interest, sex work, like, you know, she's not, she shouldn't be poor. She's shelling out a lot for handcuffs. I don't know if you noticed her bag had, like, well, that's true. too many handcuffs. Um, I loved how... Yeah, uh, I don't know why she needs <laughs> six pairs of handcuffs. <laughs> At that, like, little party or whatever, where uh, she just gets up and she's like, I gotta go to work. But it's, like, 
it seems to be like midnight to me. I never really got a good sense of what time it ever was, but um, yeah. I was like, all right, you're just going to go to work. And then we see her all in her S&M gear, and I was like, okay, movie. Like, I love the way that you're doling out information right now. <laughs> just like by the way you're cutting and, and revealing things. Like, I just thought it was hilarious. Like, like scenes are sort of ending early for me, and like we're getting incomplete scenes at times, and it's just part of the, I guess, the language of direct to VHS features and stuff, but I found it refreshing sometimes when they would just kind of like cut to something and it would be like a reveal or whatever and then they'd cut back to like the party and I was just like, okay, that's that's pretty great. So basically like for the next hour, what ends up happening is that Violet seduces Michael, seduces the father. I thought she was trying to seduce Joy at one point, but they never get together. It seemed like it was leading that way, especially because Joy starts telling her about how she's never had an orgasm before. You really think Violet's going to give her one, but it, it doesn't go that direction. Yeah, of all of the left turns this movie takes, like that's what I was saying, was like scenes end too soon. Yeah. That's the perfect moment to keep going with that scene, <laughs> play it all the way out. Yeah. But I love her, like, seduction scenes. Like, I, I just, I love the idea, like, when you have, like, I guess woman is villain and her assault or whatever is, I feel like she's, she's forcing men to have consensual sex with her. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and it's so absurd. But it's funny, though. Well, not funny, but, like, she's playing off of what they've been raised on in a lot of ways right like she's really in all honesty yeah. it's, she's not doing that much to like cause somebody to like want to have sex with her it's just the values of which these people were brought up like it's just triggering them to to want her and everything yeah and i i like that yeah i like how it uses that like it's ridiculous to think that they're being like victimized but they are they're like victimized by their own desires more than by her you know but she's using that and manipulating that and using her like sexual power. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's an interesting angle. And there's sort of like a, a funny metaphor when, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but when the moment where she like shows Michael, like, oh, I've got this cocaine. And he's like, nah, man, like, I can't do that. It'll destroy my life. And she just kind of leaves it on the table. Right. And I feel like that's her, right? Like, she, like in a lot of ways, it's like, you don't have to do this coke. Like, you don't have to do me. Yeah. But, like, I'm here. Can you control yourself? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's exactly that. Oh, I didn't realize this movie was, was quite that clever. <laughs> yeah, it's very clever. They have a couple sex scenes, but it's mostly just, like, third base, like, on each other. Mm-hmm. They really go at it in the gazebo by the pool. That's like their big, long sex scene where like, he's fully nude, she's fully nude. There's lots of butt. Uh-huh. I think there's equal butt screen time. Yeah, that's true. And then she goes after the dad. Basically, like, she plants the coke on Michael. He gets busted by the father, and she sort of turns her, her gaze towards him now. I'm not sure what she's planning, except that clearly she's trying to seduce him for one reason or the other, right? I mean, that's just her goal is, is ultimate seduction, I guess. Yeah, just to fuck with him, I guess. It's got to be a little hard for him, right? Because that's the daughter of the woman he used to cheat on his wife with. Yes. So it's got to be a little, it's got to be a little hard for him too, with like 
dredging up all that, I think. Yeah, they do address it. Because, I mean, she she mentions it and that she's, like, mad at him for, like, throwing out her mother or whatever. And then he admits that, like, because he's been heartbroken all these years or, like, all broken up because his wife died. And then he admits that, like, his real heartbreak was her mom dying that day we saw in the in the opening sequence yeah and like the maid was his true love because the mom was frigid or whatever that's what joyce thinks right she's like what if i'm like my mom and that's why my dad cheated on her and everything so that seems to be part of her neuroses that and, and just tennis 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 yeah joy inherited an inability to orgasm that <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how biology works Oh, brother. <laughs> Who directed this again? No, I guess it's that's more of a writer's fault, I think, right there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think it is just her. Like, I don't think they're actually saying that necessarily so much as like it is just Joy's neurosis. I think that totally makes sense that like you know this about your mother and then you kind of like internalize it and it becomes true of yourself. I think that is makes sense. I just like how the, the movie's able to slip in these little character moments like that. Like, because like I just didn't expect expected to have that much not depth but like level to every character really like you know i just expected them to be very like one note almost and boring to be quite honest i i wasn't you know i thought this movie would be way more boring than it was now you know you cut out the sex scenes and it's probably what like 70 minutes <laughs> and there's an extended cut too but guess what there's only more sex scenes well yeah of course <laughs> I was a fool to think that there'd be more like plot development or, or any of that kind of thing, because that's not the focus here. But that's, I mean, that's what I'm focused on. <laughs> but clearly that's not what they're making their money with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, I guess that that's good that it has these like character moments and it does like build their characters, but it, I don't know, at times it just it felt like it wasn't leading anywhere. Like the thing with, with joy and orgasming, like there's no payoff for that. And that's what I thought was weird. And it's like, it's cool that we get, that we feel like we know her a little bit more than expected in a movie like this. But yeah, I just, I did want it to like go somewhere. Yeah, because she never really has that moment of like sexual awakening that you would expect that they're setting up. So like, there's just a lot of setup. Yeah. Even if she like, if she like got off on killing Violet at the end or something, like if that made her come, like that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she just let out like a primal scream and just shook and fell to the floor. Oh, that would be so good. Because I hear you. Like, I feel like that's that's a, that's a fault here is that there's just not a lot of clear direction. Like, what is the story trying to say? Like, where is this all going? It seems to be running in a bunch of circles for a while. Yeah. You know, until until it decides like, okay, sh everyone's got to start getting killed off now. We got to really just end this movie is what I feel like it's saying. Like, she's had sex with everybody. Now she's got to like kill everybody. And off. now she just kills everybody. Yeah. <laughs> There was a one moment where um, it was my biggest laugh. It was not an intentional laugh. It just caught me really off guard because I think it was right when Joy came home from the tennis tournament, which there's a whole other podcast going on with Joy and her tennis tournament that I'm, we're not going to get into tonight because <laughs> I just, I couldn't, it's just one of those elements I couldn't believe that they're just that, again, like a choice, like, yeah that's decided move on like we're keeping it in we're gonna follow through with this tennis plot line but like she comes home she like drives herself home from her tennis tournament she's got like no coach or anything well i think she usually goes with her her friend probably but 
they had a falling out that Violet caused. That falling out, by the way, after drunk tennis, her friend falls asleep in her underwear. <laughs> her tennis partner. And Violet goes in and, like, handcuffs her and snuggles up next to her in her underwear and, like, kind of wakes her up. And then the tennis partner just, like, totally freaks out. And you find out the next scene that she called and she doesn't want to be partners with her championship partner, Joy, who I'm sure they've been through thick and thin together. Like, this is really the final straw. But that was an incredible moment. Yeah. Well, the thing she adds, because, yeah, she tricks her. She, like, tricks her into thinking that they had slept together when they hadn't. But I think what, like, pushes it over the edge is that she is like, oh, Joy will be back in a minute. So this girl thinks that she had a threesome with her best friend or whatever. And I think that's what, like, really makes her so uncomfortable about it. Yeah, that makes it worse and better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's mm. terrific. <laughs> so the moment that just caught me super off guard was at the end when she comes home from the tournament and she opens the door and Violet is doing like S&M femdom on her dad. Yeah, she's whipping her dad. Yeah, and it's just like instant trauma for poor Joy. It's like, poor Joy. I just felt so much for her at this moment. Yeah, she goes through a lot. It's hectic. It's a tough life living in that mansion all alone. <laughs> and then I can't remember. I think it was because the dad was like, this can't keep happening. He starts to like have a heart attack because of being caught, I think, by Joy, right? Like the shame and everything is really getting to him. That was an interesting moment. That was that was definitely a good moment for the, for the father character, uh, the actor who, who was playing him. Who I also recognize but can't place. I don't... I didn't recognize anything else that he's ever been in, but I could have sworn I've seen him before. I think he's like a TV actor. Okay. I'm not sure. I, he looked familiar to me too, but I didn't, I didn't place exactly what from. He was good in that she does, I guess, just like overwhelm him so it, it affects his heart. And then is... Isn't he, like, trying to take a pill or something and she doesn't let him? That classic, you know, yeah. that's a classic bit. I'm so glad they fit that in. Because I, I thought he was going to die of a heart attack. Like, I thought that was her plan was, like, sort of, like, I guess that would make her too much like the Joker. It's, like, way too intricate. It's, like, I'm going to make sure we're caught by joy and he'll have a heart attack and she'll run out and... Yeah. It'll be great. Like, I'll, uh, he'll die. He'll, like, keel over. There's no, like, it's not, you know, there's no fingerprints, I guess. Or, like, you know, she didn't kill him, per se. She just caused the heart attack. But but then she also, like, stages a suicide, I guess, with the, the car in the garage. So while he's having a heart attack, he's also, like, asphyxiating. She's doubling down on the death there. Yeah. Yeah, she wants to make sure. <laughs> but, but that gives it away because... I mean, I'm not, I'm not a coroner. I don't, I've never done an autopsy or anything like that. But I, but I feel like having watched a lot of like cop shows and stuff, they could tell approximately, like, okay, he started having a heart attack in his room, so he crawled to the garage maybe to get to the hospital, and then he turned the car on and noticed that the garage door was closed and passed out. So I guess it's solid. I don't know. At first, I thought it wasn't clever, but yeah, I guess it's a good cover. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know how concerned she is with any of that. Because she also just, like, I guess, like, clubs Susan Terrell or something. <laughs> oh, I was so bummed that they didn't fight. Like, it wasn't a brawl or something. I know. Yeah. Because you could totally see Miss B picking up a vase and being like, I, you bitch, you know, like, ah, I knew it. And just give some kind of grand end performance, but... Yeah, she deserved a, a bigger 
and I wonder if maybe it was something with like scheduling, like if they shot all of her scenes in one day because she's just kind of scattered throughout the movie and she only really has scenes with like Jamie Priestley. Yeah. I wonder that sometimes whenever like I feel like there's a good quality that's being underserviced or something. I just feel like maybe they they just didn't have her long enough or for enough time or something. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's something like that. I mean, it, it it just seemed to me like she was just kind of cast as an actress and probably took the job, you know, just for money or whatever. And she did what she could, but like maybe the director didn't know like who this was and what she was capable of. That's totally possible. I could see that. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to sort of, I get the feeling this is Jamie Priestley's, you know, I don't want to say breakout performance or anything, but like, you know, her first movie. Yeah, she has an introducing credit. Yeah. I can't recall where I saw her first. I think it was before My Name is Earl, but kind of foggy. I got um, middle-aged memory onset happening over here, so I can't recall, but... Yeah, I know who she is, but have seen her in surprisingly little. I guess just knowing my name is Earl exists, and I knew she was on it. And then the only, I think the only other movie I've seen her in is Torque, where she has, and she has like black hair, and she's like a kind of goth chick. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. But there was this one high school movie from 1998, I can't remember, with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, that's right. She's in Can't Hardly Wait. Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, she's she's one of the girlfriends in, in that. I think that's when I first saw her, yeah. Um, but that's after this. That's the year after this. Yeah, I think this is her debut film, so maybe she had done some TV first. Very cool. And she gets to die in it. She gets to <laughs> yeah. die, like, uh, after all the evil deeds. Well, oh, first, um, like, there's a little bit of, like, a cat and mouse chase around the house between her and Joy, and, and that's when Joy finds Miss B dead in the closet, which the, the big takeaway I got from that was she knocks on the door and she's like, Miss B, the circuit breaker's in your room. I need to change <laughs> one of them. I was like, wait, oh, yeah. what? <laughs> That's not in the garage or something. <laughs> and so she has to like fumble through the closet to get to the electrical box. Like, and that's when she finds the dead Miss B, like sort of just like laying there. It's just like, oh, R.I.P. Yeah, that was sad. So yeah, they should have had a bigger fight. And I, I did, I felt like the ending was a little unsatisfying. Joy and Violet like chase each other around a bit or whatever, but like it could have been a bigger fight and a more, it didn't really feel climactic. Yeah, the one thing I wish they leaned into more throughout the whole movie is very early on when she gets out of the car, when when Violet shows back up, she's got one of those dolls from when she was a little kid that they all were playing with. And then this movie ends with a tea party again, you know, so it like kind of comes full oh, circle yeah. back to that day. So at that point, I was like, oh, they I really wish that they had sort of hinted more that this is where we're ending up because this would make sense if she was trying to sort of like relive that moment and make it perfect in her own twisted way you know since she's been gone and all the stuff that's happened to her mm -hmm. like to come back and actually get her catharsis out in this moment and whatever that entails you know killing joy or having joy kill her i, I wrote down double murder suicide um <laughs> i really didn't know what to expect mm-hmm they sort of set the stage for something a little more grandiose instead of just like falling backwards down the stairs. I mean, it's a, it's a terrific tumble. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and there's a really nice sort of suspenseful moment when Joy is hanging on the pearls and, and time is standing still and they sort of like have a moment and then everything breaks and she falls backwards. Yeah. 
I was glad she died. I just felt it needed to be there needed to be a little more bloodshed between the two. Yeah, or maybe like it it should have been more about like Joy's breakdown, you know, her kind of driving Joy crazy and then, you know, kind of leading up to Joy ends up like taking some pleasure in killing her. Because even to the end, she's like, give me your hand. Like she's still trying to save her even at the very end because she doesn't realize what this what Violet is doing until like almost the end of the movie. It takes her so long before she like finds Michael's jacket and it's like, hey, she lied. She's been like drunk drugged and like working on her tennis the whole movie. She's been so distracted. She's like not even here. That is that is very true. But she does sort of have a moment at the end where it all comes together. She's like, oh, well, I could kind of see it in the character's face. She's putting it all together. She's like, oh, when she finds Miss B, she's like, oh, then that must mean she killed Michael. That must mean she did this. That must mean Mm -hmm. it it was her like the whole time. Yeah, I guess I wanted her to be angrier, like end on a final shot of like, now she's evil somehow, (laughs) like into killing, like any change in her character. Yes, because what we get is her walking out of the house sort of like catatonic, right? And like that bummed me out that she didn't like go to the bottom of the stairs and like scream or something or we don't see another shot of her dressed up all sort of like you know in an in a gown like trying to seduce somebody at the you know what i'm like you said like now maybe the the torch has been passed yeah whatever evil was in jamie Priestley has like flown into her now <laughs> and it's like part four begins here or something yeah yeah some some lost potential there but still a lot of fun still i would definitely recommend this one to people yeah i really enjoyed it and i also i mean i enjoyed it a lot coming off of the second one too having watched that recently because this was so much more what i want out of a poison ivy film so that also helped me like it i'm not i guess i'm not recommending people do that you can't skip the second one but like it did make me appreciate this one more having not seen the first movie in like i don't know 20 years maybe honestly like it's been a it's been a long time uh, since i saw the first movie and never having seen the second movie just taking this at face value for what it was and what it is and what it's doing. It was just a lot of fun. It was just really enjoyable. I mean, I've been watching a lot of movies on this show that are very well known, that have like very sort of clear reputations, I guess. You know, people either love them or hate them. And and so this is the first one where I kind of got away from like the mainstream. And I was a little worried that it would be too far for the first one. Like it would get too weird or or whatever. But I feel like the song it's playing, it's playing really well it might not be a great song but it knows how to play it very well and it's got like a lot of great instruments involved as far as like the actors and and it feels like everyone's really on board here yeah i don't remember the first one clearly enough but i i think this is like practically like a remake of it but just amped up i think that's a good thing to do especially for direct to vhs or whatever is to like go farther and just kind of like take the formula and just like push it farther i think is a a smart decision and and the right direction to go with it and that's a lot of what i'm looking for in like a part three as well like last episode with leatherface which was basically you know like a remake reboot of the first texas chainsaw massacre and it's really just great how 
you could do that in the part three of a franchise and something like this knows that that's possible they're like okay with this one we're just going to get we're basically going to like you said do the, the first one again and just pump it up to the next level because you know we've really got nothing to lose it's make or break at this level and i think especially even with the title where it's not called poison ivy 3 like i think every aspect of this was meant to stand on its own and be sold as its own thing and play on cinemax by itself without having to be familiar with the the previous two so i think all of that was like very conscious of just like it's part of the series but it's not like a sequel in a traditional continuity sense even though there is continuity it's smart. It's more like an anthology thing. They've got like a Cloverfield thing happening with the Poison Ivy trilogy. Yeah. It's sort of kind of connected, almost by title only. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about part four now. There's a lot of stuff like we didn't get a chance to talk about, believe it or not. But is there anything, you know, you're dying to talk about that we didn't get to? I think I basically covered all of it. Yeah. I'm I'm hopeful, but I assume that there is not a novelization of this film oh (laughs) so you took the words right out of my mouth that's exactly where i was going next this is actually the second movie in a row without a novelization yeah i'm sorry i know a lot of people are happy right now but i'm a little grumpy about it i'm gonna write it Yes. Like, yeah, get the screenplay. And I think there's something you could go on wiki. They say, like, what percentage you have to add to make it new. So you could, like, go wild with her inner monologue and everything. Yeah, I I would love to figure out her motivation and then definitely, like, extend the fight scenes with Susan Terrell's character and and at the end. Oh, yes, definitely. Adding, like, extra scenes. That's That's a big novelization thing. It is for sure ending with joy having an orgasm from killing someone (laughs) and that sets up the next movie is that yeah she has to kill people to get off (laughs) that sounds like there's something like that out there i don't know but like i'm sure there is (laughs) there's a market for that oh man yeah so so no book club that's the end so austin wolf southern thank you so much for joining me tonight for poison ivy the new seduction thank you would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you online yeah, I mean, the, the movie reviews are the thing I'm proud of right now and, and big into doing. So it's called Cinema Stories, which isn't the best thing as far as, like, searching. But if you include my name, just like Austin Wolf Southern, Cinema Stories or One Minute Movie Review or whatever, then it, it should come up. And I'm doing all horror right now. Or on uh, on Instagram at Wolf Southern. So it's Wolf Like the Animal Southern with no U. And I, I post the stories there first. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that's it. Thank you very much for joining me. And oh, um, you signed up for a couple other episodes, so you're definitely going to be back again. If you will come back, I'd love to have you back. Yeah, of course. I'd love to. All right, man. Well, thank you very much and have a good night. All right. Thanks. That'll do it for another steamy episode of Third Time's a Charm. I gotta thank my guest, Austin Wolf Southern, for stopping by. Be sure to check out his YouTube channel and Instagram for all this cinema story movie reviews. That's Austin Wolf Southern. S-O-T-H-E-R-N. Know you. Before I go, I just wanted to mention that this movie is one of several movies I watched this month with a character named Mike or Michael. 
this movie, Lost Boys, Halloween, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, it's not important or anything, it's just something I noticed, because, you know, that's my name. Be sure to write me at 3 at cageclub.me. That's T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. Be like Joey, he got the ball rolling. Send in some more mail. It'll be great. Go to cageclub.me for all the other great shows the network has to offer, and cageclub.me slash Mike to see all the other shows that I appear on aside from this one. Check out at Third Times a Charm page on Facebook, at Cage Club on Facebook, Cage Club Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Third Times a Charm is now on Stitcher and just about everywhere else that podcasts live. Check out the show page for links to things mentioned on this episode, and until next time, you've been seduced. That's the magic number. Three. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three stuff me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean? Coming up next on Third Times a Charm. My name is Alice.